Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast, a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Each episode is taken from a chapel message given here at Emmaus. For more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Good morning again. I do want to say today's going to be a little different, not going to be necessarily a full-on message, maybe as we're accustomed to in a normal chapel. Um, But as we do normally in chapel, I do want you guys to stand with me for the reading of Scripture. And I'll be reading the first half of Psalm 118. It's a lengthy passage, so I'm going to start off just reading the first portion. We'll look at the second half a little later. Psalm 118, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, whose steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. You may be seated. Do any of you have good stories or memories of deliverance or protection, salvation? Maybe it was from an exam that you just got out of. Maybe it's more than that. Perhaps perhaps you have a story where you or someone you loved was delivered from a major illness. Maybe some of you have been in a bad car wreck, and and after looking at pictures of the wreckage, you cannot believe that you are still here. Maybe you've been delivered from an addiction or some other unhealthy dependence in your life. I hope for all of us that we can reflect on the deliverance from sin and its hold on our lives when we surrendered all to Jesus. I have a memory of deliverance from when I was four years old, and it's maybe not as severe as some of the examples I just mentioned, but my family and I were in Dallas, Texas, and this was long before I ended up moving there for school, and we were at a family's friend's house for a pool party, and while everyone was getting cooled off in the pool on a hot day, 
I noticed that no one was at the hot tub for obvious reasons. I don't even know why they have hot tubs in Texas. But being the, the mature four-year-old that I was, I noticed there's a whole pool all to myself. Now, I can't swim at this time, but I didn't think it was going to be very deep. And I'd been in hot tubs before, and it all turned out fine. But right as I jumped in, I start sinking like a rock, and I realize my predicament. And I can still, to this day, I can picture the image of looking up as my head went under the water. Now, thanks be to God, my mom heard the screaming before my mouth went under the water. And she starts screaming and bolts over. Now, my mom is a very stylish woman, and in the 90s, it was really cool to wear all denim outfits. And I can still picture the outfit that my mom was wearing that day. And so she, she gets up in the middle of this big party, starts screaming, jumping over to the hot tub, not knowing that I'm under the water. And she pulls me up, and I'm safe. I'm embarrassed, but I'm alive. But as I said, anytime I enter a hot tub now today, I think of that time of deliverance when my mom pulled me out of the water. And now in this passage, on a, on a much greater scale than almost drowning in a hot tub, we see the people reflecting not just on the immediate deliverance that they had experienced, but also reflecting on God's faithful deliverance over the time of Israel's history and also their desire to see it again. At the beginning of this psalm, we hear this, this testament to God's steadfast love, his, his hesed, which I think I mentioned last time I spoke in chapel would likely lead the, the Jewish reader to think back to God's self-description of himself to Moses on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. And then we hear this call to worship. We hear him calling the, the nation of Israel to worship, the, the priests or the sons of Aaron and all those who are God-fears, Jew or Gentile, calling on them to declare the steadfast love of Yahweh. And then the psalmist reflects on a time of his deliverance, and likely the deliverance of the entire nation, when they were in, in distress, but instead of putting their hope in man, they placed their trust in God, who showed himself faithful by cutting off the nations that surrounded them. Now, we don't know exactly who this psalmist is. It could be one of the, the kings from the line of David. It, it's maybe an Israelite after the return from exile. We're not sure of the exact writer or the exact circumstances of the deliverance, but we are certain of the source of that deliverance. And therefore, his people seek to praise him. And today, we desire to join with them, for we too have experienced deliverance. Maybe not from a surrounding army, but from an enemy far greater than that. And so I want to now switch to the second half of this chapter, starting in verse 19. He continues to write, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Here we see the psalmist leading this procession of people to the temple. 
And as they come to the temple gate, he, he calls upon those in the temple, likely priests or, or guards at the gate, and he's asking them to open up the gates that they might come in and give worship to Yahweh. Those in the temple respond in verse 20 that only the righteous may enter. But then we find in verse 21 that it is the Lord that makes them worthy to enter. Last week, Ms. Cooper and Allison and Keith, they sang that beautiful song, Come Lift Up Your Sorrows. And they referenced the curtain that was in the tabernacle and later in the temple that, that separated the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant from the rest of the complex. And that Holy of Holies representing the presence of God. And, and I want you to listen again. I'm going to read some of the lyrics. And it may be a, from a different version than the exact one they sang. But listen to some of the lyrics from that song. It says, in the most holy place, he's made a sacred space for those who will enter in and trust to cry out to him. You'll find no curtain there, no reason left for fear. There's perfect fr freedom here to weep every unwept tear. The only reason this psalmist had access was because of the saving work of his God. And the same is true of us today. One commentator, when looking at these same verses, said that it is the glory of our faith that the king himself entered the gates of righteousness wholly on his merits and perfected through suffering, and a crowning glory that he made this entry on our behalf. Then moving on in verse 22, I, I hope you guys recognize that verse. I'm going to camp out here for a little bit. But we see that verse referenced numerous times in the, the New Testament, saying that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, a cornerstone, some might translate it as a foundation stone or a capstone, was a reference that these original audience would have been pretty familiar with, with many of the, the dwellings that they lived in were made of stone. And when constructing these buildings of stone, one would cast aside any stone that they thought would be worthless in the construction of the building. And so here in this analogy, a stone that was thought to be useless is actually found to be the foundation of the whole building. And what the author is saying in his time is that these nations that had surrounded Israel likely saw themselves maybe as a builder of their own empire. And when they see this small nation of Israel, they see it as a small stone to be cast aside. But instead, God has foundational plans for and through this small nation. Now, in the New Testament... Jesus uses this verse to refer to himself, for when the religious leaders saw Christ, they rejected him, seeing him as some fool from Nazareth, illegitimate, and a threat to their tradition. And so they too cast him aside. But Christ is the cornerstone. Paul will later say to the church in Ephesus, he says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now I know today we're not walking up to a a structure, to a temple. But as his temple that is being built together by the Spirit, we are his dwelling place. And we worship the cornerstone, whom many cast aside, but whom we worship as our foundation and our hope. Looking ahead now at verse 25, again, this should sound familiar to us, but it says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Now, the similarities may not stand out as clearly in our English translation, but that that prayer in verse 25 of save us, the Greek translation of that word is Hosanna. And I know we've already past Palm Sunday, but I want us to reflect back a little bit. And I don't know about some of you, but as a little kid, when my Sunday school teacher handed me a green branch and told me to yell this word, Hosanna, as I marched down the aisle, I was a little confused. Who's Hosanna? But think back with me on that first Palm Sunday, and that word will make a little more sense. We know the story. The king comes riding in on a donkey, as was prophesied, And they're thinking of the enemy that currently surrounded them, Rome. And they call to Jesus, who many are starting to think, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the Messiah. And so they yell, save us. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They take up the words of the psalm that had reflected on God's deliverance. Many of the verses, and I didn't have time to go into it in depth, but many of the verses in this chapter are taken straight from the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 14 and 15, when they are delivered from Egypt. And now the psalmist uses some of those same words to reflect on this present deliverance from this surrounding army, or maybe it was from the return from exile. But he takes up the cry again because he knows that there will be more enemies to come. Enemies like Rome... And so the Jews in the time of Christ, they see their need for deliverance and salvation. And so they cry out, Hosanna! But Christ came to do so much more than save them from the Romans. He came to set the captives free from sin. Later in Jesus' ministry, when talking about the last days, he he says about Israel, I tell you, Israel, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You won't see me again until you see me for who I am, and that is Savior. This psalm of reflection on God's prior deliverance, that's also a celebration of his present deliverance, is a call to continue to cry out for future deliverance. And what the psalmist wants us to see is that we worship a saving God. Now, did he care that his people were under Roman oppression? Yes. Does he care about you and the struggles that you are going through as you come through the end of the semester? Yes. But again, he came to deliver us from so much more than the Romans or a hard semester. He came to deliver us from sin and its wages of death. And so that even while we were still sinners, 
He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God, as Dr. Stevenson prayed earlier. Hosanna! My, how the Lord has answered that call for deliverance. And finally, I want you to read now the last three verses, verse 27 through 29. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Focusing in on verse 27, not because it's necessarily quoted in the New Testament, but because of its emphasis of the sacrifice. Now, Psalm 118 is one of what they call the Egyptian halal songs, which was Psalms 113 through 118. And these were songs that were often sung during the time of Passover as they reflected on God's deliverance from Egypt. Many think it is likely that Psalms 113 through 116 were sung before the Passover meal, and 117 and 118 were sung after. In Matthew's account of the Last Supper, it says that they they sung a hymn after dinner before they left for Gethsemane, and many think that it could be likely that these are the psalms that they were singing. And so it's likely that singing this psalm would have been one of the last things that Jesus did with his disciples before his arrest, And, and one of the last lines of this psalm refers to a sacrifice of which he himself was about to become which was about to become God's greatest demonstration of his steadfast love, which endures forever. And so in a song of reflection on deliverance and salvation, we too are challenged to join them in that reflection. And is that not what what Easter is about? No, we, we shouldn't need just one weekend to remember this. A lifetime is not enough to give thanks for what took place on Calvary. But we have this special weekend to hopefully help us remember the rest of our days, that our Savior has has done his work, that it is finished. Now, you may hear all this and think, Brooks, you know, what does some psalm that the Jews sang thousands of years ago about being delivered from a foreign army have to do with my walk with the Lord in Dubuque, Iowa in 2022? In my preparation for this message, I came across a a quote that I thought gives an answer to that question pretty well. This writer said that when we understand our stories of deliverance and our reasons for thanksgiving in the light of God's ways with those who have gone before us, we are connected to a narrative, a narrative that gives us reason for thanksgiving in the present and hope for the future. God has always been a saving God. God's saving plan has been seen since the start of Genesis. When Adam and Eve rebelled, he told the serpent that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head, even as the serpent bruises his heel. And from there, we see our serpent-crushing God demonstrating that saving power on behalf of the patriarchs, on behalf of a nation enslaved in Egypt, on behalf of a nation that consistently rebelled against him, and then on behalf of sinners like David, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, 
Peter, Mary, Paul. But the saving hasn't stopped. He has continued to save, and he continues to save wretches like me and you. And so may we, like those before us, like the psalmist of 118, may we too cry out to the cornerstone, Hosanna, because he was the sacrifice who was worthy. And so in closing, I want us to pray that we would take time to reflect on our deliverance from sin, not just this weekend, but you guys are going to have some extra time. You won't be in class. Take that time to reflect on what Christ has delivered you from and at what cost, and giving thanks that that cost was not paid by you. You did not have to pay that penalty. He paid it in full. And would you continue to pray that this deliverance would continue to be manifested through your lives, through continual deliverance from sin and fear and shame? And would you join me in asking God for the boldness to declare this salvation to others? And so would you bow your heads with me as we give thanks to our our Savior? Father, we join with the psalmist and We give thanks for becoming our salvation. Lord, you have rescued us from our sins and our destiny. Our our future is secure in you. But there is much in our lives that we seek deliverance from. And we say with the psalmist, Hosanna. We cry out to the cornerstone. But Lord, as we go through this season of celebration and reflection and even grieving the cost that had to be paid and grieving our fallen state, may we remember those final words of your son who said that it is finished. There's nothing left for us to finish. What's left for us is to receive this free gift of life. So thank you, Father. We say it often, but we, we say thank you for sending your son who lived the perfect life, who died the death that we deserved, who rose again three days later, who ascended back to the Father, and who will one day return to make all things right. And in that truth we rest, and in your Son's name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.